Jeff, have we just come up with what we're doing after the Baxter building? <laughs> we might! How, we... How, did, how did that happen? Don't say what it is, because this is now going to be the cold open. Now that we've just had this conversation, this part is going to be the cold <laughs> open, so everyone knows that we, we now know. By accident! I honestly thought, I swear to God, I thought we were going to do Micronauts. Oh, God. You know, I know. But it's no, a shame. No, this, 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 is, this is probably a better idea. I think so, too. I think so, too. I think this one's got a lot of... Um, yeah, I'm kind of excited about this one. I'd been thinking about stuff for a while of what we could do, and I'm really glad you're down with this one because I was kind of like, oh, this. I think this would be a good. This would be a good way to, to shake things up a bit. Oh man, that was a stroke of genius, Lester. <laughs> well, we shall see, McMillan. We shall see. <laughs> Excuse me. All right. So uh, yeah, so I had to. Cheese it up there at the end, but... Nuts. Welcome to Baxter Building episode. I can't remember and I don't have it open in front of me. Jeff, do you remember what episode this is? So no, it's in the 30s, right? 33, maybe? I, it, might, no, it might even be in the 40s 30. at this point. No, hold on. Well, let me see here. Yep, we have to check. Look at us, ladies and gentlemen, professionals actually looking up our own episode. You're right. It was episode 42. It's, so it's the... episode 43. 43. Baxter Building episode 43, wow. everyone. See, you thought we'd only done thirty odd. No, we are we are far on. We are so far on that we are doing issues three hundred sixty two through three hundred seventy of Fantastic Four, the first volume, Marvel's first family, the the primary comic book in the Marvel universe, which you can't really tell from these issues at all. <laughs> you know, I, it's funny you mentioned that, but I'll, I'll wait till we get to the introductions. Yes, I'm Graham McMillan, and who are you? <laughs> I'm the interrupter. The cosmic Marvel villain of the 90s. Look upon my might. Uh, no, no, no. I'm Jeff Lester. Hello, everyone. I'm clearly full of, of caffeine and sugar because I'm really looking forward to talking about these episodes. And by really why, looking... Wait, why? So these, I can yell are, at you, Graham. Are... I can yell at you. Wait, 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 you wait, knew. Wait. I didn't know. <laughs> you knew when you suggested doing the Baxter building that I would read these, that I would have to read these. Oh, and... Jeff, Jeff, you should save the yelling for the future because this is still better than it oh, gets. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Oh, Jesus. Actually, we so... are We are into the second, like, yeah. second batch of Tom DeFalco, Paul Ryan issues. We're covering nine issues, and four of those issues are, I was going to say an original story, it's not original, but at the same time, it is not what the following five issues are, which are a crossover that is so crossovery mm -hmm. that you might go blind. Let, yeah. Let's just be honest. The, the Infinity War crossover with issues 366 through 370, that's right. Five issues of crossover. Yeah. And it's staggering. Now, but still, Jeff, better yeah. than this book becomes. Ugh. Well, so one of the things that I was going to say when I kept, like, jumping about like a little dog around your ankles is the idea that when you talk about um, 
the FF being the first family and more or less the the cornerstone of the Marvel uh, universe, we're into the 90s. And that's... I'm fascinated by the extent to which... Jesus, I'm already breaking that phrase out. DeFalco clearly has uh, ideas on that subject. I think there is something to be said for the five issues, which are the Infinity War tie-in, that DeFalco, who is not necessarily what I think of as an especially introspective or theme-driven writer, as nonetheless looking in a circumspect way about what Marvel Comics is becoming and what the FS places so. for it, you know? Very much so. And, and I mean, there's some on-the-nose dialogue yep. about that very thing mm -hmm. in there. Mm -hmm. and, and as a series, starting with those issues in particular, you see him try and... I don't know if it's a reaction or try and... or, or at least trying to a reaction if that makes sense mm -hmm. like it, he, he's trying to second guess what readers will want and and make changes within the the team and the book mm -hmm. that are all terrible <laughs> you know look, look well no but looking at them from 2018 right you right. know some the, some of the ideas he's like i'll make the ff contemporary are just terrible right right but you can also you can imagine him going yeah but you know th th this is what the kids want and to be fair in the 90s it possibly was for the kids. Well, see, that's it. I think there's actually a good case to be made for it. And the extent to which DeFalco is aware of that, I don't think that it's very surprising that by the time that we get to the end of these issues, the FF split about what kind of team they're supposed to be and what they're supposed to represent splits along age lines. You know, mm -hmm. I do not think that it's any surprise that the younger members of the team are leaning toward a grimmer, grittier concept and the older members of the team uh, basically make it sound like they would never, it it literally isn't even occurring to them. And, well, and, and also that they are appalled yes, by it. Right. They, are, they are actively upset mm -hmm. at the very prospect of some of the things that particularly Johnny is is mm -hmm. suggesting, but Sue's whole thing is it's a mess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but we'll get there. Right. Don't you worry, whatnots. We'll get there before we get there. We should really start with issue three sixty two. Here comes the wild blood. Oh God! And I was reading these issues. I was rereading these issues. I've actually mm -hmm. read them a bunch of times recently, actually. But I was rereading them this morning. And I was reading them this morning with this podcast in mind. Mm -hmm. Somewhere around, like, maybe midway through 363. Because mm -hmm. I should say 362 through 365 is one storyline. But somewhere around 363, I was like, do we just, like, do all of these issues in a one-er? Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Because they are, say what you will about DeFalco and Ryan. It's very consistent. Right. It's consistent consistently dull or consistently it's not even dull it's consistently oh dull bad, dull or... dull describes it dull describes it uh, although does it? because there's a lot of stuff that is interesting looking at it when you analyze it do you know what i mean like when you look into it i think there is a lot of stuff that's interesting it's just that when you read them you're like 
How was this actually being published and purchased by people at the time? Well, two things, Graham. A, I have to say that I, because I actually had some spare time earlier in the week, started reading these with the idea of I would read them through earlier in the week and then I would reread them today. And I got to about... I got to the end of 365 and I started to read 366 and I could like I felt my soul rebel like I just couldn't even bring myself to turn the next page because 362 through 365 is to put it generously a slog it <laughs> is okay I have a question about this because I agree but I feel that we, when we did the last batch of issues, we were dealing with very similar material. Mm -hmm. I think 362 through 365 is very much to Falco and Ryan going, let's recreate the Kirby Lee magic. Right. And, and you know, coming up with an infinitely lesser version. We'll see, that's but it. You know, the same thing was happening last time. Yeah, but... And we dug it. Why is it different this time? Because I agree that it is different. But why is it different? Well... Uh, that is a good question. I would say that the part of the difference, part of part of what makes a difference is there's a lot to be said for the way in which, um, uh, um, for one thing, DeFalco and Ryan come in and although they are trying to bring back a certain amount of retroness. the first chunk of their issues kind of have a why isn't issue 357 in here that's the right word um it is basically them trying to tie off the uh, where the modern ff is like they're kind of rolling things back but among other things they're kind of playing out a hand that someone else has dealt them for a good chunk yes. of you know and that actually, I think, ends up serving them well. Uh, once you get into 362 through 365, you're looking at um, you're looking at them trying to bring their they've they've sort of tied off some of the other stuff. The things that w that that I particularly thought were kind of stinky or had less of a return were when they started stepping outside the okay we've tied up the whole Alicia thing you know now where do we go oh it's time for you know teabag the terminator or whatever and it 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 kind of here's my theory is is that Paul Ryan is um really out of his depth for some of the stuff that he is trying that they're trying to do you know like you mean in terms of he is not able to illustrate it in, yes. in an appropriate way okay like we and this is the great we honestly i think everything that we can say is wrong you can look at the splash page of issue 362 here comes the wild blood now in it, we've got everything that is 
like um it couldn't the the idea of it couldn't be more classic ripped from the pages of Lee and Kirby. Reed in doing one of his experiments has has uncovered a new dimension, right? Yeah. Think about how Kirby tends to stage that, right? I mean, you just think like you think about the ways in which he would put forward that whether he builds to it you know builds to that splash or even if he opens it right like the way that he frames all of that would i think you know it's one of those things where it's like i should have done the research and gone back but let me just say that reed richards reaching his hand into an ordinary fucking door that is just you know hinged to a plank is on the one hand kind of it's it, it's such an almost comical collapsing of the Kirby worldview it's like imagine taking Kirby keeping a Kirby idea but taking Kirby out of the equation and coming up with something that is so small you know the fact that we are going to deal with something literally called the universe, which sounds l- like someone's belly button, that is the grand <laughs> discovery that Reed makes and that we see by him stretching his fucking arm into one side of a door without it coming out the other side. And again, Ryan, who is actually plotting, you know, has the freedom to set that up however he wants. A, he's barely able to convey it, and B, if you look at this splash page, to me, it's so much closer to Silver Age DC than Marvel, because there's an element of absurdity to it. There's also, for lack of a better term, an an, an almost pedantic clarity to it. Like, you can literally, Reed is reaching into the door, you know, the doorway to a new universe. So it makes sense that it's a door. But the way that Kirby frames, uh, not just frames things on the page, but his design is such that he can make the most portal-rific thing seem amazing looking and still convey its intention. Ryan, who I think drops the ball repeatedly throughout this arc on exactly that front, um, is forced to more or less communicate his ideas in a far more literal and almost comically disappointing way. So, and DeFalco, who more or less follows suit with that, whether again because they're working Marvel method or that's kind of what DeFalco is going with, uh, it's just, it's, you know, I, we've talked about FF stories that start grand and then like I, you know, with, with Burn, for example, and talk about what I call the collapsing souffle effect. And this one is just like, you're looking in, you turn on the oven light, you've only put things in like a, a minute and a half ago, and it's already on fire. You know, and you're like, I should take that souffle out, but it's supposed to be in there another four issues. Let's just see what happens. <laughs> you know? Well, what's fascinating to me is you you know, you liken it to Silver Age DC. I liken it to non Kirby early Marvel. 
Mm. The staging, I can imagine Don Heck doing the staging. Right, right. I think you that's know? a good way. That's a good and, comparison. And I, yeah. I think that Heck has, and I, I, I said last time that you know I'm just not a fan of the the Ryan Bodani team mm-hmm. at all. I, I don't think it's it's a particularly it's not my aesthetic. Right. To put it mildly. But and I think that Heck has a nice line, and I think that Heck would actually do a nicer illustration. But I find that that Ryan's staging is really, really similar to Marvel when it first started, and there was Kirby, and there was Ditko, and there was everyone else. Right. And Ryan is the everyone else, mm-hmm. except Ryan is also trying to exist in the 1990s. Right. So you have like Wild Blood in general in the yeah. story arc. Right. It's a very 1990s design. But without any of the exciting trappings of the of the artists who were good at that, yeah, and, yeah, and then you know you get like in the in the next issue, in order to go into the universe, which then becomes the innerverse for one issue, and then becomes the universe again. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to wear vests. Yes. Why? God knows. Yeah. But they have to wear because of course they have to wear vests. It's the nineties. Right. Do you know what I mean? And there's just that level of just. Oh God! And don't even get me started about the uh, the evil copies of the characters by the time we get the Infinity War issue. Oh yeah, 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 right. Which are just oh man! But these issues really betray the perhaps the real reason that these issues are so bad for Fantastic Four is Ryan is just not up to the job. Yeah, and I, I arguably the weakest artist that's been in the series so far especially as a regular artist oh i think so yeah i i I would be well see the thing that's tough is that it that i comparatively over the life of the ff um there's honestly a very slender window of uh ff artistry that wasn't so heavily sanitized as to look you know, kind of smooth and competent. And I mean, you know, once Byrne breaks that, but he breaks that around 240, right? So we're... He breaks it when he first properly comes on, which is like yeah. 232? Yeah, I guess that's 236, right. 236, right. I always, yeah. I always clunk it forward, but maybe it's like 236, 238 or something. And, um, you know, so this is this is 100 issues, 130 issues down the road, which is a long time in comic book world. It's 10 years. But but the idea of having the FF look a certain way is is still pretty new and there's there's there is a way in which Ryan should be able to sort of make his own stamp. Like again, there's that idea of like there may have been worse uh pencilers on the FF, but in part because they were literally being told to draw a certain way and then you had senate coming in and more or less forcing it um i think the thing that i find like you said right the thing that's crazy is you talk about how ryan's you know of the not lee not ditko caliber of early marvel and it's a great observation to make in issue 362 which is heavily heavily pulled from the Kirby and Ditko uh, Spider-Man fights the Human Torch issues. Like, mm-hmm. the amount of relentless web-making 
that Spidey does in this issue is is a page right out of Jack Kirby. You know, the right down to like, oh, here's a web bat on the fantastic car that's gonna like fuck up Johnny's, you know, good slash ugly clothing and it's gonna piss him off kind of thing. You know? Like yeah. so what is strange is the way in which Ryan just like he doesn't seem up to the task and he, it doesn't seem like he's aware of it. I sort of feel like he is trying to do arguably if I'm being super generous, it's that he is trying to serve too many masters, but I think this issue these sets of issues, particularly 362 through 365 really nailed down the idea of like if you do not have design chops you can you are the wrong artist for the fantastic four because yeah and and design chops in multiple ways though because as you said you know ryan might not be the best artist but all the other artists were drawing in a particular Mm -hmm. way and Mm -hmm. that's that's true in two folds one senate was inking them and so everything had a surface gloss that, that looked professional but also they were all up until burn and arguably past burn arguably because mm-hmm. then you get like pollard and, and you get rich buckler mm-hmm. they were all trying to literally do kirby staging mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. or more realistically they were trying to do Bissema's take on kirby staging right none of them were really going for a true kirby but they were very much going for like the Bissema that immediately followed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. ryan just can't do that type of page design either mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the dynamism he just he can't do that sort of dynamism at all. Well, so let's let's recap the issue and then we'll talk a little bit about the dynamism because one of the things that frustrates me is is that although like you said, Ryan can't do the dynamism, but he has he's got an okay sense I think of storytelling flow. Like I don't feel like my eye ever gets confused yeah Yeah, it doesn't get lost no it's really easy to flow through these pages and the the fight scene between um you know and it should be put in quotes the fight scene between spidey and the torch has a very it has a very smooth flow to it it really does you roll right through it the action is enjoyable it's just but at the same time it doesn't really it's never really of course fully inspired and then once you factor in everything else it just is it's just not enough yeah it just sort of dies on the page Mm -hmm. and this is a strange comparison to make but ryan's work especially on this book really reminds me of brett booth's work now for dc Mm. whereas like it's technically competent Mm -hmm. but it just feels completely out of time and kind of boring right yeah you know and also kind of ugly but not really ugly just not attractive well yeah i mean i think at some point you and i may quibble about that with that i might quibble with you especially in two issues but i am i'm i'm stunned by how much um, you know, this character that were it, they really do make it seem like, oh boy, look out for wild blood. And he is a really unbelievably poorly designed dull character. 
Like he oh, is he's amazing. It's yeah. genuine, and they play Wild Bloods up a lot. Like the story is called "Here Comes the Wild Bloods." Yep. The the, the front cover says, you know, uh, a fighting match human torch battles the amazing Spider-Man high above the city, while the rest of have face the all new menace of the Wild Bloods, and he's really one of the minor characters in this four-part story well and that's it. It, it it's strange how he keeps being positioned and not positioned but um you know i don't know there's so much that's ugh. anyway okay i'm gonna try uh quickly recapping this first issue and then Please we can do. talk a little bit about it so yes here comes the wild blood opens with Sue walking in on Reed's experiment, which is basically him wearing a sex vest and stretching his hand through a closed door, which is stunning um, because he has figured out that uh, there are great distances between the atoms which form molecules and the molecules which constitute supposedly solid objects. So he is, in theory taking a scientific fact which is that that most of what surrounds us is quote-unquote empty space and supposedly doing the but what's inside that empty space and for some reason we're supposed to believe that it is a entirely another dimension or a dimensional portal i mean there's so many cheats yeah, yeah. and then it's basically a what is between those it is a generic alien world yeah it's it. I mean, literally, you have him saying, like, I'm trying to access this space and examine the wonders which may exist within. And on the very next page, the very next page, it says uh, that the, the place where Reed's hand is going to materialize is at that very moment in a universe far beyond the fragile fabric of conventional reality in a dimensional plane, which exists at the juncture of all physical matter. It's like. I, I mean, for those of us who are kind of like the microverse was at first an actual microverse and then at a certain point became an alternate universe that you accessed by, you know, shrinking down shrinking, to a certain yeah. size. Uh, this kind of is a try to have it both ways at once. But the thing that really drives me crazy is Sue is exposition trading with Reed as he reaches his hand through a door to explore. We cut to the, uh, what we will soon know as the Iniverse, where the mercenary thief known as um, Wild Blood immediately begins dropping the most annoying faux swear words ever. Where... Oh, it's so great. You'll make a fine addition to my blagged hog. Yes. Yeah, no sign of that blagged city guard. And it's like, still, yeah, blagged hog. Ah, so, um, you know, apparently upon seeing uh, Reed's hand appear out of a rock and then just sort of like hang there reaching around because the one thing that Reed Richards, scientific genius... <laughs> would do upon discovering a new uncharted universe is stick his hand into... in and blindly <laughs> flail about. Like, I'm just like, 
the fuck? Like, why isn't this it's called so, the Under the Stovaverse? You know, because it is so it's clearly... so great that he's like, I've discovered this new universe. Let me just go. I think I'm groping a boob. You know, like so. Of course, the only thing dumber than that is the Wild Bloods. Uh, reaction to seeing a hand floating nowhere and saying, such an atrocity must surely be the work of the Gem Guild. There is no end to their evil machinations. By the lost eye of Oculus, I swear my callus will sever that sick obscenity before it can... No, it withdraws into the safety of its stone cocoon. Show yourself, you perverted abnormality. Heed the challenge of wild blood. Okay, so that's a guy that we're supposed to... Basically, intergalactic Yosemite Sam is supposed to be a character that we're supposed to A, be interested in, and B, root for. Fortunately, Reed... What are we supposed to root for? Really? Yeah, well, I think so. He's like an anti-hero hero. Honestly, again... Looking at him, who he basically looks again like if Wolverine fucked Yosemite Sam, uh, and then got and then their offspring had to get dressed at the the new Genesis daycare center, you know, and <laughs> it it's all of those trappings I think are supposed to say like here's a character that you care about, and again has that kind of like uh you know. Puck, like someone who was like, oh, Puck is the greatest hero to come out of the late 80s. You know, it's just, it's a mistake. Anyway. You hush your mouth. Hush your mouth. But Puck, I'm talking Puck about is Puck. Much more, Puck is much more interesting than Wild Blood. Well, oh, I agree. I agree. Don't, don't you, you, Luke, Ooh, watch it. Why, yo. Yeah. So, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so there's a great thing. We cut back to Reed and Sue where, um, which is great. Cause Sue's like, I trust you didn't start this experiment by sticking your arm into an unknown dimension. And Reed says, of course not. I've been working up to it for months. Like, what is, I don't even want to know what that means. Like what else did Reed <laughs> stick in there first blindly considering this is where he went. It was like, eh. like six hot dogs. No one ever nibbled on one. So it was time for the arm. Look, but the hot dogs came back, okay? Yeah. I don't know what your what your problem is. Yeah, this exactly. is how science works. Yeah, it is, isn't it? So hot uh... dogs, then mice, <laughs> then a dog, then your hand. Then your hand. It's clear. It's it's reads following everything in the mad scientist handbook. Uh Sue, however, has been following Loose Lips, the gossip column in the Daily Bugle, which is amazing because which is, I don't think ever mentioned before or will be since. Which is which is really a super shame because among other things, uh, it it literally the person there's we see in the bottom of a page in a corner a little panel that's that's supposed to be the faux um, loose lips column. Sue's already explained that the column says, or actually Reed reads, fresh from her hasty and secretive divorce from Fantastic Four member Johnny Storm, blind sculptress Alicia Masters seems to be dead set on rekindling Ben Grimm's fire for her. And Sue says, that article makes everything sound so sordid. And Reed agrees, yes, but we can never reveal the truth to the general public. I'm like, why not? Like, part of me is kind of like, would people be really... I guess I guess would Johnny doesn't. Would you be surprised? Like, I would no, but I think I think Reed's really like, ugh, 
you know, like the idea that Johnny's like whenever he's out in public, people are like, oh, there's a scroll fucker. Oh, the scroll fucker is going off again. <laughs> so the well, thing... to be fair, that's kind of awkward. It is. It is. Even more awkward is the fact that perhaps a letterer susp- understandably aware that the person writing this comic is, in fact, their the boss of Marvel at this point, uh, decides to typeset a whole faux column rather than just your usual QWERTY UIOP crap. You can actually read the Great Balls of Fire, or should we say Leapin' Lizards? What's going on at Four Freedoms Plaza? And it goes on to not only recap that, but then start some sort of other gossip about Simon Williams and the Scarlet Witch, which I got to admit, I'm kind of down with. Part of me's like, let's bring back Loose Lips and have it gossip. Why not have there be like an all-powerful like gossip about the Marvel Universe, right? Like they kind of well, need what's, it. What's kind of fascinating is I don't know how much you were into Burn Superman like five or so years before this. Uh-huh. But Byrne brought in Cat Grant, yes. who was theoretically that for the DC Universe. Right. Well, but she never really said anything except exactly. in kind of boring yeah, they, ways. They never actually used her column. Yeah, yeah exactly. So that, that was a bummer. So this one, another lost opportunity. Anyway, uh, cut from the upside-down column to basically a kind of lewd-looking upside-down Spider-Man reading the paper shot, where it is pretty hard not to realize you're looking at spider taint as it, he's it, like it, 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 that's it? funny because when i was first reading i was like oh spider taint <laughs> both of us went exactly there you can't help it, it is, it's the is, way it's designed on the page towards the reader yeah it's it's yeah like i think when face front true believers was coined it was not supposed to look like that you know so Anyway, Spidey, who reads about the Human Torch being uh, divorced and is really worried about him and decides, like, wow, the guy must be devastated. Uh, I should help him out. And, but instead runs to Empire State University to register for spring semester, but happens to see part of the fantastic car there because Johnny is also at ESU thinking as he... Uh, does every 10 years or so uh, uh, about returning to college. Exactly. Maybe I should go out to school again. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, yes, maybe we'll finally find out what the fucking subplot was with Wyatt Wingfoot and that goddamn coach from, like, literally 300 <laughs> issues ago. <laughs> so... Johnny's like doing his thing, which is signing autographs uh, and, you know, kind of not seeming that into it, despite what DeFalco's trying to put on. No, 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 no. But Johnny is also like, what, two issues ago? An issue ago, Johnny was heartbroken over his wife dying. Yeah. And his opening internal monologue is. Hmm, I'd almost forgotten the fringe benefits that come with being publicly known, world famous, and unattached. Right. As he says, are you pretty ladies waiting for little old me? Yeah. Oh my god. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, on the other hand, Johnny Storm, who, perhaps, one would, if one was willing to give Tom DeFalco any credit, we could look to the later issues and character turns of Johnny Storm and be like, oh, DeFalco's been foreshadowing that Johnny's a little bit of a monster all along, but I don't actually trust DeFalco. DeFalco is just kind of trying to get back to that. Yeah. No, no, no. no. This is an attempt to roll things back to the glorious days of retro where 
we rapidly end up with some sort of crazy web bat thing that Johnny tries to swipe off the fantastic car. It covers him in webs and Spidey's like, Hey, uh, and basically they're off. They are off mm-hmm. for the next four pages yep. of nothing. Yeah. yeah. Of a chase where they're like, Hey pal, heard you got divorced. That tried him divorced. Let's keep fighting. Yes. For exactly. some reason. Yep. Yep. Yeah, no, there there is a point uh part way through where oh yeah, it, it he it, where actually in the very second panel, um, you know, Spidey says, like, what'd you expect me to do, hot stuff? Invite you out for a beer? That may play for guys like Nick Fury and the thing, but you and I, we prefer the active life. Why don't you just chew on that thought while you're attempting to struggle free from this web bolo? And I'm like this seems uh, I know what I know again what's amazing to me is the one thing that I feel like DeFalco and Ryan have really captured of the Lee Kirby magic is a severe disagreement between what the artist is putting on the page and the way the writer decides to try and swing it so because looking at the storytelling there's not anything that looks us especially relaxed about these guys yes there's there's nothing friendly about it at all no in fact a, a couple of pages following spider-man tries to crush johnny by pushing a chimney on top yes of him. yeah exactly exactly you know and so the your friendly neighborhood sociopath man uh, appears to be acting as if this is the best way to bring Johnny out of his doldrums. And a few pages later, which, uh, you know, I guess uh, after they've more or less like caused ridiculous amounts of property damage and destroyed a water tower and doused the flames out, they're both like, ha 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 that was great fun and and johnny's like that was terrific yay it's it's weird because of course defalco has to set that up i think i think what what ryan was going for was the idea that spidey is should have been goading johnny all along and then done the whole like hey i was trying to get you to blow off steam waka waka yes about, which is what the art shows. The art yes. shows quite clearly that it is, it is a fight mm-hmm. that that ends with Johnny basically getting over himself. Yes, he literally gets drenched in water, and then he sees the funny side. Right. right. That that is quite clearly what's happening in the art, but it's it's that's not what Defalco is saying. No, Defalco starts in a way that is sort of classic Stan Lee, sort of of let's not make our heroes look bad and so therefore I'm going to drain this fight of any tension by making it seem like oh hey they're just playing right from the very start which then makes all the chimney crushing and garbage throwing and everything else the 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 human the flaming fly swatter stuff seem a little out of just just not right basically so things are out of yeah. sync meanwhile uh back at the four freedoms plaza uh we actually see a wonderful panel of franklin um foreshadowing what the next three issues will bring by yawning loudly 
as Reed works on his tools and so that he can once again measure like measure the oxygen content of inner space by reaching his hand into again just a regular old wooden door i i why why is it a door as well yeah right well because why because is it a portal it should be a portal it should be a portal but like i said like ryan's like i don't have the chops to design something that makes sense you know that that could be abstract but convey its intention the way that jack genius kirby did so he's like i'll make it a literal door and so the idea that reed is reaching into a physical object the door is a form of okay we get it this is symbolic storytelling it's just the dullest form of symbolic storytelling it's a door do you get it mm-hmm. it's a door exactly. it's a door to another dimension yep it's a door <laughs> So, meanwhile, he manages to reach his hand through again as uh, the Wild Blood is in battle with the Gem Guild and their Sky Serpents. It just, basically, the whole sequence kind of sounds like Rick Moranis's, um, you know, uh, crazed speech from Ghostbusters turned into <laughs> life. Like, it's all just kind of ridiculous bullshit. But... Of course, the Wild Blood being, uh, sorry, yeah, the Wild Blood being cornered. I also hate the fact that he's the Wild Blood. But is he, but he's not Albus. It's the ent- entirely erratic thing. Mm-hmm. Just like it becomes the universe, the innerverse, the universe. He is the, his definitive article just appears and disappears for yep. no reason. Yep. Yeah, because because there is a little bit of like this doesn't quite work. This doesn't work either. I guess we'll go back to the other thing. Anyway cornered or is he he sees the hand reads hand reach through holding an ox- oxygen measuring gizmo which again is like the most pedantic looking of gizmos it it's just it's exciting that paul ryan has actually seen what credit card readers of the future look like and are able to capture <laughs> it in such amazing detail like 20 years prior look. He was watching Star Trek The Next Generation, and he was like, look, I can draw a tricarder. Yeah, it kind of, it, you're right. So, um, by humping Reed's hand, uh, the Wild Blood is able to escape the members of the Gem Guild. He's pulled into um, the Baxter Building, or sorry, the Four Freedoms Plaza. Reed is somehow fucking surprised, and, uh, you know, uh, the Wild Blood immediately begins attacking and thus begins a second very boring action sequence where we're supposed to believe the Wild Blood by dint of being able to jump around a little bit and, um, I don't know, his ability to beat people up with multi-purpose wrenches uh, allows him to sort of draw... Um, kind of a semi-standstill? Like, how long does this fucking fight scene go on? I forgot how... It's actually not as long as it seems. It's maybe three or four pages. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, basically, and it basically ends with the Wild Blood not being able to figure out that uh, Sue has um, force fields five pages later after figuring out that Sue had force fields, like, immediately. So... That fight scene's over, but uh, essentially the Gem Guild, meanwhile, have figured out that they can um, 
open the gateway out of their own universe and essentially in the excitement of uh in a, in a scene so exciting that that Paul Ryan has to cut away from it uh the gem guard come back through the door beat the crap of out of Reed Sue and Ben uh and then kidnap um Sue Franklin, Sue and the Wild Blood. Yeah, I suppose it's important for for plot purposes that as soon as Wild Blood jumps in, he senses tremendous amounts of gem potential within Franklin Richards. So he's like, there's crazy amounts of gem talent in Franklin. So therefore, he goes on to grab uh, Franklin and Sue for some goddamn reason. And uh, drags him into the door. So you've got nothing says drama like Reed Richards shaking his fist at a glowing wooden door and saying, we must rescue them before it is too late. And that must means we must invade the universe to be continued. Um, and you know what, Graham? I hate to say it. This issue, which is terrible, is still so much preferable to me than the issues that follow. I, I completely agree, though. Oh, there, there's there's something about this one where you're like, oh, this story could go somewhere. Spoilers, it doesn't. <laughs> it goes exactly, like in every single respect, it goes exactly where you expect it to. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So Shall we just keep going? Shall yes. we go, go on to, is there anything else you want to say about 362? Should we go on to 363? No, let's go to 363, <clears throat> and you should take over being your stronger recap ability should come into play. I'm just going to go through super quickly. Innerverse is what the story is called, because it's not the universe anymore. It's the innerverse for this issue only. Yeah, yeah. Because there's nothing like consistency, or rather, to do the old joke, this is nothing like consistency. <laughs> Reed, Ben, Johnny leap through the portal now wearing just like random vests yep. that are called oscillation jackets, yes. which helps them cross the dimensional plane. You might think to yourself, wait, if they need those jackets across the dimensional plane, how did Wild Blood, the Gem Guild, Sue and Franklin do it before that? Yep. Don't ask. Yes. Don't ask. It's just because they've now got these special jackets, which are apparently great. As they come through the portal, the gem guild's there waiting for them and says, Surround the invaders! Destroy them! Or we surely shall face the endless wrath of the Unforgiving One. I just want to say, this is another thing that I want to complain about. Because the... the another pronunciation of the Unforgiving One. I love that. The way you say it is awesome because you totally you should be doing all the campier muppets for jim henson's people like just based on that line reading alone graham no i think the thing that bothers me is uh read johnny and ben jump in uh to the interverse and uh johnny says heads up heroes it looks like we're expected and ben yells yahoo it's head cracking time there are, again, this is so classic to me of the difference between Ryan and someone like Kirby, is there are objects in the foreground, the bottom left foreground of uh, the splash page that are supposed to be essentially evil, crazy space guns. Mm. They don't read as that. They don't, everything about from the placement to the design it kind of looks like Reed is about to impale himself on his groin on some rebar 
And that's about as much threat as it has. So DeFalco perhaps understandably really tries to sell the page. And by virtue, because uh, he's also trying to recap, the whole page is just buried. It's kind of a, it's, it's a bad splash page. And then it's followed by a semi double page spread, which has... Uh, it really does have Ryan trying to Ryan trying Ryan trying, um, but gives you that it, kind of. Well, I, I wanted to point out that uh, we talked about Ryan's lack of design chops in the previous yes. issue, and here he really comes through by the Gem Guild being the Kund from the Legion of Superheroes. Mm, okay. That that's just what they are. They okay. are one hundred percent, except now they are purple and gray. Yeah, that's it. Yep. That's 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 all he's done to be different. There is a, a completely dull over very quickly fight scene which exists to show Johnny using his his fire blasts, Reed using his stretching out of the way and Ben hitting something. Mm-hmm. That's it. As the Gem Guild run away in fear, Reed goes, "Oh, I've got a gadget. It's got antenna and it's and it, they actually call out the fact that it has antenna in the dialogue, which I love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it will help me track Franklin's brainwaves. Yeah, Franklin and Sue's brainwaves, which is important. Oh, yeah, because Franklin's – we'll get to Franklin's in a second. Yeah. Um, as, they are, are, as they are tracking, you see uh, – when the scene cuts and we see Sue and Wild Blood being pulled along blindfolded. Why are they blindfolded? Really, who knows other than sure, why, because – Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're brought before Oculus. Oculus is yet again a coon from the Legion of Superheroes. Oh, is it he? Is, okay. Yes. Like down to the fake eye, Greg LaRoque was doing this design ten years before this, Jeff. Okay, because as a it's dude who didn't follow it, I really was like, because I haven't read that. My internal frame of reference is again. Because because this is where Jeff's head goes is like oh I guess it's like if Dave Cockrum was commissioned to draw the love child of boring Darkseid fucking one of the anti monitors because it is <laughs> it is Wait, did did you once approach Cockrum with that one oh yeah of course of course yeah actually sadly you're really boring dark side in particular i don't want fu- i don't want good dark side yeah no i mean that's the problem is oculus is fucking dull dark side there's no other way to to dress the, no, the dude he, up no he's fucking dull dark side except he has the the great gimmick of he's got a magic eye yeah that's it just one magic eye not like dark side who's got two Right. He has one magic eye. And, and, and yet, uh, the very first thing he does right out of the Dark Side playbook is, you know, A, cross his hands, talk about himself in the third person, and then instantly use that one eye to disintegrate the guard who's displeased him, who keeps saying, I've been loyal. So, yeah, it's kind of... It's so, it's so dull, Graham. Anyway... Keep, so the, the other thing, can we just talk about the fact... <laughs> I love you're like, keep going. No, wait, I've got one more thing to complain well, about. Because I do have one more thing. I mean, apart from the fact that they have come to this setting, which on the splash page kind of looks like a really... Like, let's let's say that you're an artist 
who was super excited by all the um, uh, material that was uh, promotional material for Doug Moench's uh, Weird World, you know, like t 10 years ago. But then you can't remember quite what excited you about it, but you sort of remember it's got like, oh, if we put many moons in the sky. I have to say, one of the things that kills me about this whole storyline is, is that you have like a miniature guy with a mustache jumping around and you've got a universe where everyone is obsessed with collecting gems despite the fact that they are literally falling out of the fucking sky exactly gems are all over and everyone is obsessed with collecting them but for the end of the story to work there is an underground cavern run by the underground mm -hmm. that is filled with gems yeah Seriously. So filled with them. Yeah. So part of me is like this is 1992. You are in video game heaven. You know what I mean? You've got Super Mario, but you basically more or less have Sonic's world and yet you don't. Like it's just one of those weird ass things where it's like admittedly I'm someone who's like when in doubt just pastiche it out like come up with you know everyone loved when flash raced sonic at the end of the universe or whatever you know that's kind of funny they had an opportunity to really do a a potential super mario riff that clearly neither defalco nor ryan i think are even aware of yes exists i think that i think that's totally it i think literally they've given themselves the perfect setup and they don't know that yes unbelievable so you know as i was reading this just absolute dreadful waste of pages i just found myself thinking you know the ff again in that sort of coming up against the challenges of the new having to fight their way through a pastiche universe of like very like you would have to do the video game characters just right would be kind of interesting you know, would be kind of an interesting meta way to deal with, like, are these guys obsolete or not? And also kind of, a, these are the new universes that, that are being built, you know, are, it, there's, there's, it's not Jack Kirby anymore. It's, you know, Shigeru Miyamoto. But instead, we get, oh, we get, we get, we get Sue in the world's most boring bondage gear. We get... Dull, really boring dark side um and we essentially i mean it's just filled with like there's a two-page sequence where not long after uh people do all kinds of crazy expositioning about oculus about is he a good guy is he a bad guy he's done all these things that make him sound like really terrible but maybe that's the influence of his like evil mentor because his like um, wife Melenia supposedly is like really awesome and and into protecting him and et cetera et cetera, and um, it it sucks. And then it cuts to another amazing dropped opportunity, which are a bunch of um, chubby ass gem kids staring at an enormous war wagon, which really does. I was like, oh, this is going to be great. They're actually going to take the old Kirby war wagon thing. And exactly. Just... They're literally doing Kirby here. And then they don't. And then they don't. They're just, they kind of are like, yes, not 
not even they would dare threaten us if we could energize this ancient war wagon. I'm like, oh, there's Chekhov's gun, except you then basically ignore the gun and it except never comes it back go again. Off. Yeah, no. exactly. Oh. We don't understand what Chekhov's gun is. Yeah. Che- they're like, Chekhov's gun, that's when you show the gun. Because you're not going to use it, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Ugh. That's why you spent two pages on a gun you're never going to use. Yep. Anyway, Wild Blood and Sue escape because, of course, they escape. And Sue's like, okay, Wild Blood, I guess you're cool. Wild Blood's like, nope, leaving. Yep. Getting out of here. You can stay here if you want to get your kids, but I'm just leaving. Mm-hmm. Bye. And he flies off. Sue, being invisible, tracks down that uh, Franklin is indeed getting strapped to, I mean, what? A sort of circle kind of machine that looks like it's got a duvet behind it with lots of Easter eggs attached. <laughs> Those let, are gems, but otherwise that. you're entirely yeah, I, I accurate. Know, but, yeah, but really, right. it looks they like do Easter look eggs. more like let's... Easter eggs. You're right. They're not even gem-shaped. Paul Ryan, Thank come you. on. Yeah, you're right. Meanwhile, meanwhile Wild, Wild Blood has fallen off of his magic dragon literally into the arms of the thing yep. because sure let's just go with that coincidence mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. fine yep. whatever um as wild blood is like oh sure I've, I've seen your wife she's she's over there franklin is very upset understandably saying mommy he's going to use his eye blast guess what he does he tries to shoot sue sue has a force field sue fights back because we are very very close to Tom DeFalco going, I'm a feminist. Feminist means that women are strong, right? That's that's what sure, – that, sure, she's strong, whatever. As she fights back and does a reasonably good job, yeah. the decides to shitty dark side goes pretty direct in a wonderful way. And is like, what if I just stab your kid? You right. should stop fighting. What if I just stab your kid? Yep. And that's distract soon enough that she gets zapped. The machine that is, of course, the Easter egg covered duvet is switched on. Franklin screams. The building glows. And Reed looks at his little doohickey and goes, Susan is fine, but according to these readings, Franklin has ceased all brain activity. There are only two rational possibilities. The device is malfunctioning or my son is dead. To be continued. Spoilers. It's clearly not that Franklin is dead. It is astoundingly fake Jeopardy. Oh, no? it's so fake. It's so fake. And the thing that's interesting is it's fake, but it really does take the... There's bits and pieces in this, and it's weird, the pieces that suggest that Ryan was a big fan of Burns Run. But it's weird stuff, like um, like the fact that when the Wild Blood and Sue are being led through the streets... Somebody slings some feces at Sue, sort of the same way that somebody slung feces at She-Hulk. And similarly, the classic, like, oh, here's Reed, you know, and you sort of zoom out as... The zoom out is very burn, isn't it? It very much is. Very, very much is. And, uh, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's an enormous fake out. And it's actually pretty goddamn comical about... Not just how much it gets rolled back the next issue, but how it's rolled back in a way that DeFalco doesn't even give a shit. Like, he doesn't bother to say... And let's let's face it, it, I mean, in any other comic, 
Reed sort of deserves to have a dead son because they what? spent the no. whole issue. No. He, they jump into no. the universe and just fuck around. Like, Johnny literally says something like, hey, come on, we got to get going quicker. And Reed says something along the lines of like, whoa, 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 we can't just jump in without Science. a lot of data. Yeah, exactly. Like, Johnny says, sorry, but this is no time for a lecture on interdimensional economics. And it's totally fucking right, you know. And Reed is still like, the buildings in that distant city must be enormous. I'd say we still have good 10 or 12 miles ahead of us. And Ben's like, well, let's get hiking before we run into any more delays. They literally just walked by a super tank with wheels. Like, it's literally, they walked by a car. Well, it's a long time to go. Well, we, sh we should probably be hurrying. And meanwhile, Reed's doing the whole, like, look, look at the gems up in the sky. They probably do shit. And then they're like, oh, there's wild blood. Let's just hook his sky dragon. And you know what? Let's talk. If she's, has he seen any good TV recently? So by the time that Reed is like, ah, uh, ah, my son is dead. I'm like, you deserve it, Reed. Like, Franklin doesn't, but you do. You know, it's ugh. Fortunately, Watch I would I would just like yes. to distance myself from the idea that Reed deserves a dead son. <laughs> For some reason, that that just goes. You're, you're just, just you're just like no, there. that's wrong like, and no, it's disturbing. I, I'm drawing the line there. I I, I Graham, I, I appreciate you um, refusing to sign on to my empty hyperbole. It gives me it gives me a lot of respect <laughs> for you. Uh, sadly, that respect I do not share for Fantastic Four issue 364. Omnipotent is Oculus. Oculus. What is he again? Like, you literally can't remember. Like, I I was like, he's Oculus the occupational has Yeah, the unforgiving. Anyway, Oculus is kind of like, aha, the child has served his noble purpose. I have become power incarnate. Um and what does he do? He basically does it to, like, grab the almighty gemstones, which fill the skies and circle the planet. And uh, they glow as if aflame, and it allows him it, to basically do what any fan FF villain does once they have cosmic power, which is hop on a, a, rove their, a line of their own cosmic farts and fly off into the sky. So Yeah, he doesn't... He's like, I'm omnipotent, and then proceeds to spend the next issue not being omnipotent not not even remotely like he's like just... i'm omnipotent that means you can fly right yeah. sure because like he's omnipotent and yet he gets surprised by everything yep. he gets beaten up by the thing yep i mean he's he's really bad at being omnipotent yeah like it... like other guys shoot at him and he's like oh they're shooting at me oh shit right i suppose like i'm omnipotent I'll just like teleport away or I'll blow them up or whatever. He's like, Oh no. Yeah. Fuck. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, we've, we follows with a boring scene of, uh, well, which is, which is great. Um, it, it literally has in theory, uh, the FF who believe that Franklin is dead, seen Oculus fly around <laughs> and jump to the conclusion that he's kind of the dude responsible for it. Following a fight scene, uh, a fight scene as well as um, members of the uh, rebellion um, who are all, everyone is fighting Oculus. And Oculus, for his point, is basically uh, more enough, basically powerful enough to tell everyone to fuck off, but not powerful enough 
to where when they all jump into a hidden entrance in the ground, um, they're able to get away, despite the fact that he's looking at them. He's literally looking right at them as it happens. DeFalco gives Oculus like the explanation as to why he abandoned, why he does let everyone go. Because mm-hmm. he goes, but since they are so thoroughly powerless against me, I prefer to spare them for now. Yeah, right? Uh, everyone's earning their money by doing some terrible, terrible work. <laughs> underground! The underground and Reed's jo- Johnny and Ben, or oh, not to mention Wildblood, are wandering around going, Luke, you're all planning. You're definitely you're, you're planning for things. This is great. I could go into detail about the origins of the planet and the gems. Oh, but suffice to say, the Wildblood starts the story by saying, I will try not to bore you with needless details. And that's all you need to know. Yeah. yeah. Because it really doesn't matter. The short version is... All of a sudden, there were these magic gems. They are magic gems. This is a big deal. Oculus one day plucked out his own eye to replace it with a gem. And the age of Oculus has truly begun. <laughs> that's that's it. While this story is going on, uh, Wildblood's like, oh, I should show you this. And it is, as I said before, a cavern full of the magic gems. Yeah. Wildblood has literally just finished the story going, these gems are really powerful. They're what Oculus wants. If he gets them, they'll turn them into gods. We have literally a room full of them, yep. but we've never thought to use them ourselves. Yeah. Yep. Because, oh, God knows why. Yeah. Anyway, the, the, uh, one of the rebellion comes and says, oh, your wife gets still alive. That's great. We can, we can take you to them. And Reed's like, you guys ready for a completely pointless fight that's going to last an issue? And Ben goes up. You, you bet I am. Mm-hmm. Cut to Oculus proving that he's not Dark Side because when he's lounging on his chair, which looks like it's made of like green eggs, mm-hmm. it doesn't really look like a chair as much as a pile of weird things that he's sitting on. Yeah, it is kind of true. You're right. Mm-hmm. He's lounging like Conan. Mm-hmm. He's not dark side. He's lounging like Conan. Anyway, they're like, "Oh, people are people are coming to get him." The good guys break into the castle. They rescue Sue. Sue's like, "Oh, I'm so glad that you're here. Let's go and get our kids." They try and go and get the kids, but he's he's so still. Cuts to Ned's panel, and Reed's like, "He's fine. Yeah, his breathing is a little labored, but we won't know if this sustained any serious injuries until we're home for a complete medical examination." Is it safe to move him? We have no choice. Yeah. Cut to the start of a fight that will go on forever. Yeah. Like, really, there are four pages of this fight in this issue. Sorry, I tell a lie. There's six pages of this oh, fight. Oh, Jesus, this... God, yeah. Nothing happens in it. Yeah. It is literally a, aha, look, I'm zapping you. No, I'm zapping you. No, I'm zapping you. Mm-hmm. Reed's gem gun is shot by Oculus. And it explodes, and Oculus yells, I am one with the orbiting gemstones. I have achieved gem supremacy. Yep. For all this is terrible. Yep. That dialogue really makes me think, if Marvel ever wanted to just make, like, their own Dragon Ball, mm-hmm. they've kind of got the framework here. Well, see, that's it. There's, there's a lot. This framework is kind of god-awful, but there is something that is kind of so cobbled together about it that it it could kind of go anywhere. 
you really could set things up. The main thing, though, that sucks is on page two, you have Oculus saying, I've become the power incarnate. And by the page of the last issue, he's basically saying, I have become the I've... power incarnate. <laughs> exactly. You know what yeah. I mean? So we're in the middle of the issue. I lost it, but I've definitely got it back now. Yeah. Nothing true. has the, the, happened. The cliffhanger of 363 and the cliffhanger of 364 are the same, except the people in front of Oculus when he's saying, now I have all the power, yep. are different. Yep. That's all that's changed. Yep. Yep. It's literally an issue of filler. It is almost impressive in that regard. Yeah. But really is not. Is not. It, it, it mm-hmm. really, by giving you the same cliffhanger two issues in a row, it really is sort of pushing home. You've read an issue of nothing. You've read an issue of nothing. In fact, the thing that is amazing is because, at least at the previous issue, Oculus achieved his power and it seemed as if Franklin was dead. And now, by the end of this issue, Franklin Oculus still has the supreme power, but Franklin is now alive it is it is not just the exact same cliffhanger it is a more boring less high stakes version of the same cliffhanger they've managed well, I mean, it, it to could roll not, things it backwards could not fail to be more boring yeah because literally we just saw the same thing last time yep see well but at least it had the added punch of somebody that we care about is dead except now he's not it's just and now you're all going to die who cares? Like, at this rate, more characters will come back the longer this storyline goes on. <laughs> exactly. You know? Are, is anyone going to die? Because, you know, you haven't even killed Franklin yet. Yeah, exactly. Despite that, 365, with defeats, comes death. Mm-hmm. I should say, people will remember before, that I loved that the Lee and Kirby issues especially had long intros into the titles. And I should say that with Defeat Comes Death is technically called Trapped Within the Dimensional Plane Known as the Iniverse. The Fantastic Four are treated to contemptuous display of the recently enhanced power of Oculus the Unforgiving and with Defeat Comes Death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Spoilers, no one dies. Yeah. Yeah. With Defeat Comes Death, literally no one dies. Oculus doesn't even die in this story. Mm-hmm. No one dies. So with Defeat Comes Death, I think not. Yeah, yeah. I gotta say, this issue is one of the ones that I wish I'd forced myself to reread because a big chunk of what's happening in the story is Reed's master plan against Oculus comes into play, uh, which is run away. Uh, yeah, not uh, tell I'm... Sue what's going on, despite having multiple periods of time to actually be able to tell her. Which turns oh, yeah, into he, kind he, of a weird at, fight. At mm-hmm. any point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He even says, like, it's all part of my master plan. Yep. And Ben, Johnny, and even the Wildbloods know what to expect. But there was no time to fill you in. And then he continues to talk to her for quite some time. Yep. And never explain to her. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, it's kind of a weird version of hanging a lampshade on something. Which is... Except it doesn't work unless the lampshade that you're trying to hang on there is is that Reed really is an asshole, which is not necessarily what I think DeFalco's trying to do, but almost doesn't make any sense. I mean, 
it is, this is building to a certain degree of conflict, which is not an especially new form of conflict, where Sue is basically telling Reed, like, hey, you're kind of being an arrogant jerk by not telling me what's going on. You're treating me like a second-class member. And, of course, Reed is like, nonsense, except in this case, that is literally what I'm doing because you are the only person that I've decided not to tell what is going to happen next. I even told the wild blood yeah. I didn't tell you. Yep. I instead just tell you that I haven't told you. Yeah. Yep. Also, the the way they are running away mm-hmm. is that Sue, who is holding Franklin, climbs on Reed's back and then Reed makes really long legs. Yeah. Again, that does not seem like the best way of getting away. Yes. Yep. You know? Yeah. It's really, everything about this is, is very, very strange. And here's one last thing that is very strange before we, we try and wrap this up as quickly as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. Is it just me? Or is there something weird about what the rebellion on Gemworld are wearing? Uh, Let me see. I gotta get to those pages. Um, if you're looking at GIT, it's page 17 in particular. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there is something that is kind of weird, and this happened kind of last issue as well, but let's see if you're going in the same place that I'm going with this, which is essentially the, the, um, the, the rebels are wearing, for lack of a better term, what I would describe as a stereotypical... Arabic garb? Is yes. that where you're going with that? Yes, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is fascinating. Yeah. It's so strange that, you know, you have Ryan, I mean, genuinely just ripping off Legion of Superheroes mm-hmm. for the bad guys. And then the good guys are generic Arabs. Yeah. Yeah, they're generic Arabs. And, and it actually twigged for me in the previous issue in the way when they sort of pop out of the desert ground with their little crawl spaces and things like and and here uh ryan decides to double down on it in a weird way which is sort of me thinking like is it just that he kind of want to work some dune in here is he trying for was he trying to do some sort of weirdo like you know frank herbert verse type thing or is there some strange like is is was was Paul Ryan sort of pro Palestinian state like I don't know what's going on here but it is it's weird it seems to signal something that I that I'm glad but what yeah I don't know yeah yeah here. exactly it it is a something's going on but, but what is it yeah nonetheless they show up and they decide that they're going to try and heal Franklin while it reads who is still yet again not told Sue what is going on, yep. literally turns himself into a catapult and throws himself at Oculus before being stretched, pushed away through sheer force. I had to release him. This strain was too great, he says. Meanwhile, back at the castle, a beaten up Johnny, Wildblood and Thing, who were left behind by Raiden Sue to basically play for time, are met by the character you hilariously called Melania earlier on. Yes. But it's actually called Laula. Oh yes, yeah, sorry. I, and she goes, "I am, I am married to Oculus. He was a good man, but he also cut off my hand. <laughs> so maybe he's not a good man. I kind of, kind of changed my mind now. What do you think?" And then Desad brings out 
basically a pistol mm-hmm. and threatens to shoot her. At which point, Wildblood really does become Puck from Alpha Flight yep. and throws himself across the page to kick the gun out of Vectasad's hand mm-hmm. and go, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> Reed, meanwhile, has turned himself into a ball and is bouncing away. Yes. What? From Oculus. And then, just as Franklin was strapped to a duvet covered in Easter eggs, what defeats Oculus? That's right, a giant uh, duvet covered with Easter eggs, which, I mean, obviously now we know what has happened to the gems previously, but for some reason, Oculus flying in front of this means that he then gets zapped by the energy, which is bad, and then Sue forms a tunnel from there into space that shoots him into space? Yeah. The end. Yeah, yeah. I, I, there, there is an amazing. He Reed actually says, and this shows you how how like into into it Tom DeFalco really is. The resulting backlash was bound to cause an immediate monumental backlash. That's exactly. Well, no, backlash what is called saw. backlash. That's that's exactly what he's saying. <laughs> You're backlash right. Backlash is caused backlash. Yeah, back- it's that simple. Yep. Yep, the backlash caused a, a backlash that managed a backlash, backlash out of the backlash. Whew, man, that is a word that you can't say uh, very often without it just seeming to be nonsense. Not unlike these issues. Anyway, fortunately, the good thing is Franklin, who almost died, is going to be fine. And you know that because he's sleeping in his bed next to an Ewok. Uh, but the the big plus is that fortunately uh, Oculus may have accidentally tampered with the psionic bonds, which restrains Franklin's latent mutant powers. Without those bonds, my son could eventually become the most destructive force this universe has ever seen. Again, the fact that Tom DeFalco <laughs> can't even get his verb tenses lined up there is just just a sign of... This issue entirely reads as if every creative component was late to catch a bus, you know? Like in No one cares about this issue at all. With the exception of the interlude, which we did skip over, which is Alicia is shopping in New York City. Oh yeah. And she's interrupted by a woman Alicia says, Do I know you? I don't seem to recognize your voice. No reason you should. It was different last time you heard it. I'm Sharon. Sharon Ventura. I've been called both the new Ms. Marvel and the she thing, but you know me better as Ben Grimm's girlfriend. Oh, says Alicia, and drops her groceries. Yeah. Yep. Oh, man. And soon enough, we will all wish that they had kept Sharon written out of the book. Oh, yeah. I got to say, I, between this and her other appearance, and it hasn't even gotten to the part, I've basically dropped my groceries twice in reading these issues. So... (laughs) Drop your groceries is the new euphemism for realize this book is terrible. <laughs> I think somehow we have to keep reading because we told everyone we were going we to keep would. reading. Absolutely. And so But no, the, yeah. these, this four issue storyline is really impressively bad for something that is so generic. Like they can't even make it exciting in a generic way. It's just bad. As you said, like the the end not only uses the word backlash twice in one sentence, but has everyone just phoning it in? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ryan, Ryan doesn't even get to draw any of the exciting fight sequence that theoretically is going on while Reed and Sewer are running away. Right. 
Well, you, 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 you cut back to it for like two seconds and it's just like, cut back to Reed running away. Well, but that's, but that's also kind of Ryan's thing, right? Like we literally had a sequence where the gem guard shows up and kidnaps wild guard, you know, uh, Reed, you know, beats Reed, Sue and Ben in ways that, that is not shown and they're never able to do again. So kind of similarly, I get the sense that there's a lot that Ryan wants to do. And I feel like as that ridiculously long six page story that, that you mentioned in 364 was only supposed to be like, what's the deal with Oculus? And of course, you know, has the wild blood being like, well, I'll tell you very quickly. First, there were two planets in the sky. Like, Ryan's Ryan really thinks that he's doing some awesome world building here. He's kind of telling the stuff that he wants to tell. And and I don't know whether DeFalco is trying to help him by trying to set up these sort of character dynamics between boring Darkseid, boring Desaad, Melania, and the wild blood, but it's amazing how much effort is put into something that has no payoff and is really static and just kind of feels a little bit like, like, honestly, I don't know what stage Ryan is, is in, in his career, but it really does feel like this is somebody who is finally having a chance to flesh out the grand epic that he doodled on his peachy, um, you know, notebook in high school and bring it to fruition. And Tom DeFalco's like, whatever, it fills the pages. Let's go. Let's get this done. Um, We've got four issues to fill before we have to do a five part Infinity War crossover. Five. Let's parts. go. Now, I have to ask about this five part Infinity War crossover. Right. Uh, 366 through 370. They're called The Enemy Within by Reed's Betrayed. Day of the Dark Side with Miles Towards All and Forever Evil. That's right. That's where Jeff Johns got his, his inspiration from. I get the impression that you like these issues more than I do. Because for me, this five parter is A, deathly dull. Mm -hmm. And B, genuinely where the book goes from. Uh, relatively unsuccessful and yet mostly entertaining pastiche to dire. Well, on the one hand, Graham, I sort of agree with you, except I despise 362 through 365. <laughs> so, honestly... I, I, think so, I think they're so dull that despising is far too strong. Well, I, 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 no, like, because I really did. I, I yeah. understand mm -hmm. a part of me is like, but Jeff, that's like despising like... A drawing of a ghost. Sure. Right. I get it. On the one hand, you're like, it. you're sort of like, it, it is literally beneath contempt. It's it's a waste of your There's energy to actually. To... And yet, so, but here's the thing is, is that I, you're right, but getting from 362 through 365 made me really irritated because it felt like a waste of time. And I think the part that bothers me is, is the way in which I think that DeFalco is just, yeah, whatever, let's fill up the pages. The thing that sort of bothers me about 362 through 365 is my suspicion that Ryan really does 
want to tell a big epic story and has none of the tools in his toolbox. So I think the thing that kind of bothers me is is that it's watching a dude like this is where we've kind of hit with Marvel in the 90s is for better or for worse um, a bunch of artists are kind of given the chance to do their own thing and it's paying off huge dividends in other parts of Marvel's publishing line and yet here and so I guess that's when I think about it that way, it sort of makes sense that they're kind of like, okay, Paul Ryan, the bed is yours to shit, which is basically the same exact right down to that <laughs> sentence was literally what they told Todd McFarlane when they hand, handed him the keys to Spider-Man number one, you know. But this is why this is why those issues are better than the Infinity War crossovers, because literally for the Infinity War crossover, it is it's not even your bed you're shitting. Jim Starlin has already shot the bed, right. but there's a little patch of it over there that, that you, can, you can use if you really want. Okay, so so the thing that I find interesting to me, and this this is the thing of like, so given the given just the here's the story, here's the story. What do you want to tell? Poop the bed, or here is an absurdly long tie-in to a a Marvel event as we saw with Inferno and other things, my expectations immediately go lower when I see crossover issues for these things. I'm like, this is not going to go very far, so I don't have high expectations. And yet, also, one of the things that I kind of appreciate, as you know, I'm a sucker for thematic metatext, uh, so that makes it a little bit easier on me. And I actually really did appreciate that part of the reason why this is a five-part storyline is each issue of 366 through 369 is the FF battling their evil selves. And... Uh... But that's because that's what Infinity War is. I mean, this is a five-part crossover right because each of the five chapters basically take an existing scene from infinity war right and go but the ff were doing slightly more than you think well right which on the one hand how do i put this i sort of appreciate the effort in that because of course we saw Inkelhart, who normally is a dude who if he really wants to dip his toes into a crossover, will really kind of get in and mess around. We've already seen him basically look at Inferno and be like, this does not serve my purposes at all. And like I said, one of the things that I find fascinating is is that if there's ever a time for you to have a five-part crossover in which heroes... Um, confront their evil selves it's not a bad time for the ff in the 90s especially because 366 and 367 th there's something a little bit different in 366 reed fights evil reed and more or less loses because evil reed is more ruthless uh than reed is in 367 mm -hmm. you've got ben fighting evil ben and more or less managing to triumph 
because uh, what ends up happening to him? I think someone helps him. Oh, yeah, the puppet master ends up helping him, which is kind of an interesting little twist. The 368... Marvel Marvel 2 in one, Jeff. Well, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. There's a little bit of, like, it's it's not each one of these four issues of each character facing their own dark side is done is done differently like reed loses ben wins johnny but ben wins through the goodwill that he's managed to earn yes yes which i think is important as is the fact that johnny halfway through fighting not just himself but a bunch of evil x-men more or less gets to the point where he's like oh wait these aren't real things at all they're just kind of blobby things i'm just going to kill them and we have Sue, who by this point, essentially at her point in the middle of this uh, Infinity War crossover, is more or less going like, okay, she's presented with her evil self, but you don't know the extent to which her evil self is an evil doppelganger, as has been the opposite issues, or as the appearance of Malice more or less suggests is Sue's repressed side and that if she embraces and integrates with her, she will be stronger at a time where she needs to be. So I like the fact that despite the fact that it's all tied to an event, A, the status quo of the event changes from issue to issue, which is more than you can say about issues 362 to 365. One, each character has to fight their shadow self in a way that is a little bit different and resolves a little bit differently. And by the time you get to issue 370, which is the part which really doesn't feel like much, where it really feels oh, no, like three, the FF is straining. 370 is a mess. Yeah. 370 is, is really cut scenes from Infinity War issue 6. Exactly. Which really doesn't work at least by the end of it, the repercussions are a little bit that the two younger members of the FF have embraced their dark side in order to survive in a comic book that is published by a company that is seen reaping massive amounts of success by uh, embracing its dark side. And here you have a book written by the, you know, avowed retro fan, Tom DeFalco, more or less kind of saying, like, is this what it takes to survive? And, of course, in the having the older established point of view characters being like, well, if this is what it takes to survive, maybe it's not worth it. And I think that, again... Are these issues kind of... uh, Also, I have to say that at least as each issue more or less unfolds, because DeFalco is not... um, It has at least put a modicum of importance on clarity. At each issue, I sort of understood what the stakes were. And because it's being plotted by Jim Starlin in Infinity War and not by Paul Ryan... Things the stakes seem to shift and escalate. And honestly, when I got to the end of 370, I was like, maybe I should read Infinity War because it seems like it might be interesting. Spoilers, it's not. And this is a Jim Starlin fan actually saying that, which is shocking. 
but John Nevin is going to be very upset with you. Yeah, and I kind of get it, but but I have to say, Infinity War is really bad. Like I I am a Starlin fan, and I think that Starlin's writing on it is poor in a number of ways, and in a number of ways that I think that Starlin normally isn't. Um, but weirdly enough, when you with taking that out of the picture, which I did when I read it, like the issues up until issue 370, I'm like, they feel a lot more thematically stronger than I ever would have given Tom DeFalco credit for. And they actually move with a certain amount of hustle that I would not have attributed to Paul Ryan. Now, that being said, is it too many issues to tie into that fucking yes. Infinity War thing? Absolutely. 100%. I'm going to provide the opposing view. Sure. Jeff, you've made your point. I'm going to make the counterpoint. Right. For me, while I see what you're saying about, oh, it's got a coherent theory and it works that through the various characters, mm-hmm. I do not think that it actually changes enough. And I think it's an incredibly repetitious arc that offloads too much of the the purpose to another comic mm-hmm. and for me it's full of defalco basically repeating himself and coming up with dialogue that's astoundingly on the nose mm-hmm. you know you have ben talk about you know if this is what it takes to survive then maybe we can't mm-hmm. or or you know sue sue is a wildly out of character even before she's supposed to be out of character right you know and DeFalco also, and this is simultaneously to the credit of the book and also to the detriment of the story, mm-hmm. DeFalco makes the Fantastic Four central in every issue, but does so in such ways that are ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So, for example, Sue, behind the scenes of Infinity War, has made another machine with Tony Stark secretly, so she's worked out. Oh, yeah. That's really horrible, isn't it? Tell anyone. Yeah. And it's just like all that stuff is just ludicrous. Yeah. And because the meat of the story, like the Magus's plan, like why he's doing this, why these these alternates exist, is not within these issues. Right. So you're you're very consciously aware, even before you get three seventy, which is a mess. But even before you get three seventy, you're very consciously aware that you're reading part of a story. Even if you're reading all these FF things, you're reading part of a story. Right. And so you're left with four issues of repetition, mm-hmm. which do not form a complete story. Mm-hmm. That leads into, you know, just 370 is terrible. 370 <laughs> and, and, really and, is, and yeah. yeah. Falco has to hang a, a lampshade on the end of it yeah. by having Reed say, well, maybe we'll never even know what happened. Everything seems normal, so I guess the good guys won. Right. Because the resolution is obviously in another comic. Yeah. And it, it's so strange because I, not this time, but the, the, the last time I read through these issues, I also went to read Infinity War. Mm-hmm. And the number of scenes that are repeated from Infinity War in these FF issues is genuinely impressive. Yeah. On the one hand, good for them for, for really paying attention to what each book was doing. On the other hand, there is an exceptional amount of literal crossover between the stories. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine what it would have been like to be an FF fan at this point. Right. And be reading Infinity War and then read these books and be like, wait, I've just paid full price for like half of a story I've already read 
and then a scene of one of the team fighting their their shade. Right. And that's not even getting into the malice of it all, mm-hmm. which is insane. Mm-hmm. Like what what even goes on in that issue? Mm-hmm. Sue in stasis is put into her own mindscape where she meets Malice, who is what? Malice is a leftover of the Psychoman's manipulations, or it is an alternate personality within Sue, and they have a fight. And then Sue goes, what if I just absorb you? And then there's a the cut to Sue waking up and basically being like, mm, yes, maybe now I am evil. What the fuck? Yeah. Like, these issues are terrible, Jeff. Well, like, like these issues for me are worse than than, than the earlier issues. Nah, I, I I see your point and I get why. But I tell you, the other thing is, is these also have momentum. There's nothing that happens in three sixty two through three sixty five, apart from the little sliver of, oh, maybe Franklin's had his powers unlocked, which is not even they don't even really get around to conveying that uh, oh, no, via the, the issues. art yeah exactly yeah. And, whereas they do it repeatedly by going Franklin's asleep everything's fine and then they'll close the door and his eyes will glow, glow. They do that, like, it's like three, yeah. times. three times yeah 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 but at least how do I put it these books at least and again for something that that is part of a crossover there's the idea of there are there are effects it, here that are going well, to they, go they, forward you know? They re- push out. They make the most of subplots here. Yeah, they really do yep. because they they can't have a primary plot because mm-hmm. the primary plot belongs to another book. So they really do make the most of the subplot. We've not talked about the fact that in these five issues they reintroduce Lyra, who is alive. Yeah, sorry, yeah, Lila, who is alive. Yeah, they um, and they have and, a trope and, and that I actually off. like too, which is no. the whole like two FF villains meet each other and decide that they should like team up to to fuck up the Fantastic Four, you know? And the fact that it's the two villains from that DeFalco and Ryan have created, I'm like, okay, that's a thing. I'm not saying it's a they do it well yet, who knows? But Oh, you know, I, I'll tell you, they don't. No, Graham, you can't yeah, I, no, but, I know but, how much but... you appreciate being Greek chorus, but <laughs> that doesn't matter. I like I no, but, no, I'm but... sure it will be terrible, but my point being when you read a comic book and you don't know and they're setting something up, you're like, something's being set up. Nothing was being sure. set up in Oculus at all. Well, at all. With the exception of Franklin's powers, which is going to come into play later. And bringing Sharon back, and there is like there's more incredibly unsettled development on the Sharon plotline in these stories as well. Yes, where Sharon and Ben meet up, and Ben's like, "Well, I don't know, are you into anything dodgy?" And she's like, "Not at all." And then he runs off, and she gets on the phone and is like, "Tell the master, yes. I'm totally into something yeah. dodgy." Yeah. And I'm not joking; she actually like her dialogue really is "Tell the master." Yeah, no, which I is, know. Mm-hmm. I but no, they they lean heavily on the subplots here. Yeah, and in some cases, it's organic question mark like johnny you know am i the punisher but with flames is relatively organic yeah you know there's there's it's kind of hilarious that at some point johnny just decides that because the the doppelgangers aren't human therefore they aren't alive yeah. even though the art and a, and a future issue makes a point of being like no they are yeah, like they're they're just like worm things, but they're but Johnny's like fucking kill them all. Well, and he says he's like they're mindless blobs. I'm like, 
how do you know that? You know what I mean? And But, but also, they're clearly not mindless blobs because they're talking to him when they're humanoid. Right, right. You know? Yeah. But, like, you know, that's accidentally hilarious. But again, it is a subplot which is relatively organic. As much as I hate it, yes. the mindless subplot, it was subplot is relatively organic. Mm-hmm. But there's also things that just aren't organic at all. Like, you know, it's Pybok, he's back, in something that's unrelated to the main plot. Or, or the Sharon thing. Or just like, we're trying to move the, the larger plot forward, you guys. Just stick with us for another couple of months. We're going to get out of Infinity War soon. We're setting stuff up. Well, but I really do feel, and I, I see where you're going with this, but I'm kind of like, the Infinity War wraps up, and although you're right, I don't doubt that there's just more bed shitting in our future. It's like the status quo of the team appears to have changed, and it seems to have changed in a way that makes sense for an entire miniseries event that is about a you know a Starlin hero having to fight his shadow self and and that ends ambiguously in terms of what's going to come out of that at least this mirrors that in a way that is like I admit it's not as cool as like oh we came back and now she hulks a member of the team but at least there's kind of a thing of the event happened, and as a result... Oh, and it alters the team. Yeah, you know? And yeah. I, I have to at least give it a little bit of credit for that. Admittedly, that is probably the lowest bar that you can clear, but we've seen situations where that, that didn't even happen. So, like, I, I totally I, get I, why you hate it, I or because like, these I, are I not agree. great, but, you know... I, I agree, but I also I think that all of the changes are... I don't want to say bad changes, but... Well, it could be because you know what's coming. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm I'm trying to to not... Because I don't like any of the changes in the long term. Right. For various reasons. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that the Johnny thing could be good, but ultimately goes nowhere and gets dropped. Sure. Um, And the Sue thing is just a disaster. Like, Sue, for me... The, the Malice thing is a disaster from the very first appearance, from 369. Right. Like, all of it is just terrible. Right. Like, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's distasteful. Right. You know, there, there's this weird thing of, like, in order for Sue to be strong, she has to be cruel. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I have to accept my cruel evil self in, because otherwise I'm not strong enough personally, is bullshit, but also, like weirdly um i don't know there's something that leaves a really bad taste in my mouth about it well because because malice is one of those original bad taste things so bringing no, her back is bad malice, i guess even yeah. if it's not malice mm-hmm. the idea that sue meets her shade and unlike everyone else who defeats their shade or is defeated by their shade mm-hmm Sue absorbs the, her evil self in order to quote unquote be strong is what leaves about like it, it miles or not miles I don't have the immediate revulsion to malice as a concept or as a character that others do right but I do have a revulsion to this reading of Sue's character well but this reading of Sue's character and while I appreciate what you're saying especially when you look at it in the context of Sue and also in the fact of DeFalco has not had given us any kind of idea of any of these characters that he really has a grasp on them per se I think 
that being said, the thing that I think is interesting is is that while I see your point, uh, Sue is actually literally doing precisely what the Jungian underpinning to the Infinity War says you should do. You know what I mean? Like the whole Infinity War, as you know, the 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 Magus is Adam Warlock's shadow self which originally had been a corruption of him, you know, that that he manages to exercise from the timeline. One of the big reveals in the Infinity War is if he was erased from the timeline, where does this guy come from? And what happens is when Warlock returns and takes the Infinity Gauntlet in order to try and prevent himself from essentially using the powers of godhood uh, incorrectly, he exercises the good and evil elements from himself. He literally removes the shadow self. So unsurprisingly for Starlin, who's a, you know, very aware of the Jungian kind of thing. And let's face it, the Jungian thing is a big deal that is running throughout the Star Wars trilogy, which is wrapped up by this point and all that. Like, there's never been a better time in a way for the Joseph Campbell monomyth to more or less be uncritically swallowed. It's kind of interesting to me that you see Sue do exactly what the Jungian monomyth says that you have to do, what Jung says, and DeFalco is kind of not down with that. You know what I mean? Like, DeFalco is is showing you what you should do and yet is kind of like, I don't think this is what you should do and this is not a good thing, like, or is it or isn't it? I, again, I don't doubt that there's levels of bed shitting that's going on there, but I do think, again, in this weird thing of, like, for a dude who is in, troll, it, who is in charge of a company that is in the process of spiraling out of control while embracing every form of conventional wisdom that it's great, you actually have the guy in charge write a story, a tie-in to a big event where he's kind of like, guys, maybe this isn't such a good idea, you know? Now, I totally get why you hate all of the reasons why it's there and the person that it's focused on. For me, at least, I think it would be intriguing no matter who or how it's sort of held up in. And there's part of me where I'm kind of like, well, honestly, I think, except for the fact that you have, you know, I'm sort of like, uh, part of me is kind of intrigued that in a way that it ends up being Sue and it ends up being this character, Malice, who again has a certain amount of baggage of a signpost or a flag of where... Marvel is going wrong uh, in DeFalco's mind. So, I don't know. Again, just me. I get why you don't dig it, but I have to say that for myself, I'm like, it could have been much, much, much worse. Oh, it could, it could have been much, much, much worse. I'm not disagreeing with that. Mm -hmm. But I just, they do not work as as 
as a coherent story, and DeFalco is killing himself trying to make it work as a, a complete mm-hmm. story. Yeah. He is, like, there's a shit ton of exposition mm-hmm. in each issue to try and explain, like, where they're going from point A to point B without you having to pick up Infinity War. Yeah. Which is actually one of the reasons 370 is is a mess. Right, because he, he can't so do it. hard yeah. right up until 370, and then he's just fucked. Well, he's fucked. He just there's no way. do it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um. But it but it doesn't work as a complete story. It it doesn't because so much of of the heavy lifting does exist in Infinity War. Right. And that the only way it really can work for those who aren't reading that comic is if you go, well, I guess some things are just unknowable. Yeah, but but I sort of feel like in a way that can be comics. That can particularly that's no, a I, form I, of superhero I, I, I comics. Get, I get you know? that, but that doesn't. But that doesn't mean that the story works. Does sure. that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no. I get it. And I, I'm not sure that I'm saying that the story does work. I I, I guess what I'm saying is is that... Uh, You're like, the story might not work, but it's entertaining and interesting enough that I will forgive it. Right, exactly. It's kind of like, things move along, there is the feeling of movement, it's sure to be revealed as an illusion, but it in the the matter of fact of things it feels it feels it feels like yeah there's not a story but there's com- but there's superhero comics you know? so the, this is what i'm very curious about moving forward because i know you haven't read what's to come and i have right but if you are and i i'm i'm sort of um putting an emphasis on your comments here that i don't think you have but mm-hmm. go with me if you are essentially giving these issues a pass because they're doing an interesting thing in theory mm-hmm. and commenting on the Fantastic First Place as a franchise and as characters within the Marvel Universe and Marvel Comics as it exists at this point. Mm-hmm. I'm really curious what you're going to think about what's to come because I feel that is a recurring theme mm-hmm. in in what is coming up. Right. As, to my mind, the comic really starts falling apart mm-hmm. because... Falco and to a much lesser extent Ryan start becoming hyper aware of what is selling and what the kids want and that the Fantastic Four is not that mm-hmm. and start twisting the characters outside of what they should be right um, one of the things that you've you've mentioned a few times for these issues is that Reed and Ben are rejecting the idea that the FF should change mm-hmm um, not to spoil anything, aside from the Vegas sense, mm-hmm. Ben is forced to change, mm-hmm. and Ben's change is, to my mind, as clumsy as Sue's. Mm-hmm. And I'm really curious what you're going to make of it, because I think you're going to reject it in a way that you accept, in a way that you do not reject Sue's. Well, and actually, right. I think that when mm-hmm. you see what happens to Sue, right, I think you'll also reject that. Oh, I think so too. Like, I, I, I think there, there's, I think you're definitely like, this is all setting up potentially interesting stuff, and then when you see that stuff unfold, right. But even, even the introduction of the Ben thing, I think, is going to get you to reject it. Yeah, in in a in a way that that is is very curious to me. I think that one of the things that's interesting about these issues is that. Really unsubtly, DeFalco is talking about where the FF fits in with Marvel Comics in, in 1992 or 93. Yes. Like, it really clearly, dramatically, you have Ben calling, just saying to Johnny, like, you're not the Punisher. Mm-hmm. And Johnny is basically like, oh, fuck, maybe I am. Right. You know? 
you have Sue become, for want of a better way of putting it, a Claremont cliche. Uh-huh. You know, where she uh, accepts her dark side and becomes a much more strident character and and rejects the damsel in distress role that as recently as the previous storyline mm-hmm. Defalco was putting her mm-hmm. Um but the the it's not enough for me to be like, yeah, and so therefore it's okay. Like that the the comics are bad despite that interesting stuff, I guess. Mm-hmm. Or or perhaps more more properly the comics are not good in spite of that interesting stuff. No, and and I you know, t- totally and I, get I, that. I feel like, yeah. I feel like, you no, know, you're for you the meta is like, oh, I'll give it a pass because of the meta. Like this is interesting at least. Well, I mean As that's it. To, like the previous storyline, which we both agree is dull. Right. Like the, 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 there's nothing to the previous storyline. It is just it's there. Right. Like it's just there. Well, see, and, and this is it. It does feel like four issues of filler. Yeah. It does feel like, really, realistically, it's two issues of story that somehow became four issues of comic. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And so I was hideously bored with it. So I'm, I'm saying these comics, like the issues before it, like, get a certain... Pa- like, it gets a pass because I was interested, because I was enjoying bits of it. Again... I'm laying out why I enjoy bits of it, and I understand why they won't work for you or many people, probably. But they did work for me in the moment. I'm sure once we get through another 12 issues, I'll be like, oh, shit. Like, that was really some misplaced, um, you know, faith or enjoyment or whatever. But there are things where... Uh, comics are perhaps unsurprisingly that people like Alan Moore and Grant Morrison and a bunch of other people end up being, uh, you know, uh, the surprisingly high number of practicing magicians tied to comics is the idea that sometimes superhero comics, the actual comic itself, is kind of only a summoning like it's 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 a it's a visual focus or a fetish that unlocks sort of the larger mental potential of the sort of comic that you're imagining that you're reading or the comic that you imagine that you're going to read next you know which is why there's a special term for comic readers and that is suckers you know what i mean like <laughs> I honestly thought you were going to go with Marvel Zombies. <laughs> well, and I certainly was that. Graham, one thing I do want to mention before we move on is... Uh, I, did you read these in GIT or Marvel Unlimited? GIT. So, did you check out in issue 362 the annual circulation statement? I did not, but I know that this is of particular interest to you. It always is to me. So, listeners, one of the things that's pretty great about comics is they're required by year, at least these were every year, to have an annual statement that literally talks about how many issues they print, how many issues are, because at this point it's still tied to the newsstands, how many issues are returned. And so, literally a total number of circulations you know, how many comics literally got sold in a way that we don't really have anymore. Um, yeah, yeah, very, and very true. One of the things that is amazing is 
in just the 12 months alone, so three running from 350 to 362, from the end of Simonson to DeFalco and Ryan coming in, the highest, the average number of copies sold during the preceding 12 months during that period, 221,792. The average, the actual numbers. That's insane. Of copies. Well, check it out. That's insane. But what's more insane is the actual number of copies for the single issue nearest to the filing date. In other words, the DeFalco Ryan issues, Mm -hmm. 166,200. So this book drops, like sheds almost 25% of its readers across that 12-month span. It literally goes from selling 220 copies to 166. It sheds close to 60,000 copies in in less than 12 months. And that's kind of aberrational. As someone who keeps an eye on these figures in a very lazy way, I'm not sure that the actual numbers have ever dropped below 200,000 before. But are we also not at the point where like Marvel sales just tank? No, this is 92. Other things are screaming through the roof, aren't they? Yeah, but was this... I want to say this is just the start of this tanking. Mm, Maybe. I mean, honestly, considering the the issue that is not covered in ours is one of the um is is like the isn't it some sort of polygonal cover or something like that like it's 371 is like supposed to be a lenticular type thing right like it's literally an all red cover here in GIT it was embossed yeah so we're at the embossed, embossed cover stuff. stage which means that i think that Sales are for the other books are still going up and up. I mean, this is all artificial collectorness. People aren't necessarily reading it, but I think, although I could be wrong, a hundred and sixty-five thousand copies at the what is right before the crash of of Marvel is dramatically horrible. Like that's an, really, I, I, really I bad. Just I just cheated and looked at 374's statement. Mm-hmm. And it's just the actual number of copies single issue filed nearest filing date is 207,000. Yeah. So, so it goes back up. Right. It goes back up perhaps because crossovers, evil characters, and DeFalco deciding to lean into what sells. That is kind of depressing (laughs) well right and i mean and it might not be there might be other stuff that's going on depending on 370 you know for all we know 374's nearest issue to the to the filing statement might be the that embossed cover at 371 right Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. who knows all i know is like you said as you point out it goes back up but yeah i I honestly thought that was the start of the flop but clearly not Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so so there you have it. It's 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 a weird time for the it's it's weird days for the FF and for Marvel and uh, and I've said my piece. In fact, I've probably said too much. I think that was fascinating, and also I just realized we didn't do a plot synopsis of the Infinity War issues at all. 
they're kind of hard to synopsize. I mean, it actually is kind of hard to synopsize. You kind of did as much justice as you could have by saying that each of the issues uh, up to 370 are individual members facing their shade in various ways. Mm-hmm. And when we covered the subplots, so I guess we kind of did. We kind um, of did. Yeah. It, it's part of me wants to be like, have you read Infinity War? Just imagine more of the Fantastic Four in that. Yeah, I mean, I suppose you could sort of talk about each of the major events, but I, I think really the focus is kind of on the shade. I don't know. It's like, I think part of me is sort of like, it is not, it's almost not worth summarizing because you point out in a way it's it's an issue of the F, it's the FF comic book where the FF story has been hijacked by Infinity War and Tom DeFalco and Ryan go to big lengths to figure out ways to... To, to, to pretend that's not in. true. Yeah, exactly. It, uh, for example, in, in three, seven, uh, 368, Johnny essentially leaves Infinity War, yeah. goes and has an adventure where he fights fake X-Men, mm-hmm. kills them all, and then comes back to Infinity War. Yeah. Is essentially the plot synopsis of that book. Right. You know, on 369, the plot synopsis is Sue has a dream sequence where she meets Malice. Right. And and basically has to, it feels like she has to embrace her dark side to be able to have a chance to help save Reed because at this point, Reed is one of the characters. In a way, it's sort of semi kind of organic because 366, because Reed gets defeated by his shadow self, he disappears 367 is built very closely to the idea of the first issue of Infinity War has Reed summon all the superheroes because of a big threat. And Starlin Mm -hmm. is, in his way, sort of trying to be kind of clever because that is the way that a lot of these events tend to start. But the way that he's got the event seated is all the heroes show up, Reed explains the threat, and then is more or less going to blow everyone up because he has a gamma bomb planted in the podium. In 367, as that event is set up, we know that it's Evil Reed who's putting everything together. What you see are the behind the scenes of Sue realizing it in a way that is, as you pointed out, very blatantly ridiculous. And while the thing fights his evil doppelganger, um, and ends up winning only in part because the puppet master who was with him when he attack, is attacked decides to help Ben out. Um, the events that build up to the explosion at the end, the explosion of the Four Freedoms Plaza with the gamma bomb at the end of 367, I'm like, it's very, A, it's, it's the one part of Infinity War that's very FF-centric. And so the first two issues in a way, are very tightly woven to what is basically kind of a little... I mean, the problem with the Infinity War event overall is the Magus keeps saying that the only reason why the superheroes are more or less involved in the whole event at all and are under any threat is he's like, they are no threat, but I have to basically keep them occupied to make everyone not know what's really going on behind the scenes. They're just agents of chaos by having them run around and punch each other. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the thing that I think is interesting about the FF is if you turn around and read Infinity War, all of the non-Starlin characters, which is to say all the Marvel heroes in the big Marvel hero crossover event are 
superfluous and yes and yes. which makes it which makes it really hard one one could actually say that and i think this is entirely fair defalco in trying to put as much work in at least until you get up to 370 does a better job of putting the superheroes into the superhero crossover event than starlin does like the infinity war is a bad event for any number of reasons um so that's the thing having read this i was kind of like i should go read the infinity war and and kind of see what it's all about and upon reading it i'm like this is this is really bad in a way that infinity gauntlet is you know pretty goddamn good like and in part it's i i want to ask a question yep. because you have read this thing mm -hmm. in 368 yes i oh, know 367 sorry uh -huh. sue realizes that reed is a is a uh fake right and as she's trying to work out what to do wolverine breaks into the back the four freedom freedoms plaza yeah is that an Infinity War thing? Because it goes nowhere in the FF comics. Yes, in Infinity War around... The, so Reed is giving the speech, and I have to say, maybe because it's Starlin and Ron Lim, but there's a lot of shit that makes no sense in Infinity War. Like, in Infinity War number one, you see uh, Iron Man and Reed get attacked by their doppelgangers and lose, uh, except... The read sequence is so poorly told, it's actually told better in issue 366 in terms of what's happening, in part because for whatever reason, Starlin decides to have as many of the superhero fights in Infinity War when they're fighting their doppelgangers be without dialogue whatsoever, which has appears to serve no purpose other than sheer laziness. So at the end of that, you don't know who's won and i think in theory starlin thinks that he's being clever because all the heroes get summoned you see reed basically explain the whole threat and the idea that they're being replaced and meanwhile you see his finger kind of twitching on this podium um this button on the podium and it it if you knew what was going on it would create the classic hitchcockian sense of suspense but because you don't, it just seems weird. In that regard, what happens is, oh, there's a sequence where Wolverine also gets attacked by his doppelganger in the early pages of Infinity War, defeats his doppelganger, and then proceeds to basically show up in the meeting of heroes wearing the exact same trench coat that Sue sees him wandering through the Baxter building and basically says, like, hey yes, we're being infiltrated by doppelgangers. And in fact, Reed Richards is the doppelganger. So Infinity War sets up this idea that Wolverine is such the classic badass, it's a classic Wolverine badass moment, that the reveal of Reed being an evil, being the doppelganger all along is put on Wolverine and his cool senses reveal. Actually, it's split among him and Daredevil and maybe someone else as is confusingly handled in 367. So weirdly enough, there's a strangely Forrest Gumpian type thing of having Sue see Wolverine in the vents and then decide to let him go. And in part, this is the other reason, I think, honestly, why Sue has to create 
the backup thing that allows her to tell who's good and bad because if she didn't have that there would be no reason in hell that she would let a wolverine person crawl through the four freedoms vents yeah you know knowing that there's evil evil doppelgangers on the on the loose so so to answer your question yes in a very weird way that serves no purpose other than continuity connect the dotting because it's such an odd scene in the ff like there's no reason for it to be there and in fact it just strikes out by b is like stands out as being strange yep yeah you know you're just like what what is that for why doesn't that come to anything yep i have to say it's it's one of a collection of pages where i also feel that defalco is trying to amuse himself by writing smutty dialogue you know because oh my god i'm gonna have to look is what is why does this money dialogue? He's good. I'm impressed that he managed to penetrate so deeply. So that's that. And then later, the next issue, what is it between uh, the thing and the Hulk? Where it's. Uh, where? Oh, God, I'm going to miss it. It's a shame because it really is. It's all about pounding and you pounded me good. Oh, yeah. I'm going to beat the spunk out of you, Ben says. And. Hulk says, give it a rest, Grim. Your skill is no match for your mouth. That's issue 368. <laughs> God bless DeFalco. Really just tried to find some way to amuse himself. Absolutely. It would be even, it would be even better if none of this is intentional. Yeah. Wouldn't it? Yeah, I, I'm totally that sure. Would, I'd genuinely, genuinely, genuinely be the best thing. If he's like, yeah, okay. Sure, I, I I just meant like hitting people. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. We're going to get a piece of uh, unsolicited email from Tom DeFalco calling me a, a a perv who should actually be you know monitored closely by the authorities. Which is he wrong? Who can say? Brad <laughs> McMillan, is it time to wrap this thing up? I think it is time to wrap this thing up. I'm wondering, how many issues do you want to try next, Jeff? Because we did nine, and nine felt like a bunch. But also, I want to get through this run relatively quickly. Well, so you call um, the shots. I, you let us. You let me know. I, I'll make it work, because let me tell you. Yeah, what's up? Hmm? Am I wrong in wanting to do nine again? No, let's do nine again. Three, seven, nine might actually be a cliffhanger going to 380. Definitely is. 380? Is 380 a cliffhanger? Oh, God, it is. It's all cliffhangers. Oh, Jesus. Is that going to happen? How's 381? 381 actually might be a great place to, to leave it. Okay. Jesus, yes. God. Let's leave it with 381. Let's do 371 through, through 381. And there's 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 a lot of stuff there, Jeff. Mm-hmm. There, there's a lot of the meta that you were interested in <laughs> goes gonzo places. Like, really genuinely, huh? So that's where he wants it to take it. Okay. <laughs> uh, and also, um, Tom DeFalco weirdly predicts uh, the post-Secret Wars Marvel Universe. Huh. Marvel Legacy is coming, people, sooner than you think in the next episode of Baxter Building. Uh, okay, we are, as always, uh, this is the point where I say that we will be putting up show notes for this podcast on let's say by the end of monday because 
you may or may not know people, San Diego Comic Con is coming up soon, and that means my schedule is kind of nuts right now. We have show notes there at waitwhatpodcast.com. There's a Tumblr, waitwhatpod.tumblr.com. There's a Twitter account at waitwhatpodcast. And there is an Instagram that, yet again, I can't remember the URL. It's instagram.com forward slash waitwhatpod. And we are, oh no, I should say, Jeff has a Twitter account on his own at lazybassid at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-C-I-D. I have a Twitter account on my own at Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And we are a Patreon-supported podcast. Jeffrey Lester, take it away. Yes. Hey, everyone. Our listeners are fabulous. You are all, without a doubt, 100% better than the FF issues that we just read. So... Uh, That's a really low bar, though, but you're far better than the FF issues we just read. (laughs) Um, But we are we're grateful to you for your support, for continuing to listen to us. Uh, We appreciate all of our listeners, but we should give a special shout out shout out to the uh, group at Patreon, which are uh, kind enough and generous enough to throw um, Iniverse gems our way each and every month in order to give us the amazing powers that allow us to fly around and insist that we're omnipotent despite not doing anything or knowing anything. So uh, thank you so much, especially the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios and Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. Uh, we're especially grateful for their continuing support of this podcast and for allowing Graham to make his universe an universe to your universe. Graham? I don't even know what that means. I was going to say universe to the universe of our universe, but then I screwed it up, so it just sounded like I said the same thing over and over again. Not that what I said when it's clear actually makes any more sense. I'm glad we've worked that out. <laughs> dot, 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 question dot, dot, dot. We'll be back. Graham McMillan, always a wingman. Uh, yes, we will be back. <laughs> we will be back, not next week, but the week after that with the new Wait Wads. And Back to Building will be back in a month. Yes. It'll be exciting times for all. <laughs> Until then, it's a Back to Building, so Jeff sings us out. Indeed I do. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone, and we'll see you next time in the lobby of the Baxter Building.